I want to read to you from Psalm 20. I want to read to you from the Hebrew translation. It makes it real clear what God's saying. May the Lord answer you in the time of trouble. And the name of Jacob's God keep you safe. May He send you help from the sanctuary and sustain you from Zion. May He receive the tokens of all your meal offerings and approve your burnt offerings. May He grant you your desire and fulfill your every plan. What a good word. May we shout for joy in your victory. His right arm's got the victory. Who is the right arm? Jesus. Jesus. Arrayed by the standards of the name of our God, may the Lord fulfill your every wish. What a word. Now I know that the Lord will give victory to His anointed. And He did. His name's Yeshua. We call Him Jesus. And because He got the victory, I have the victory. Greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last that was and is and is to come. Somebody give Him praise. Now I know that the Lord will give victory to His anointed and answer Him from His heavenly sanctuary with the mighty victories of His right arm. Who is He? They call on chariots and they call on horses. But we call on the name of the Lord. They collapse and lie fallen. But we rally and gather strength. O Lord, grant victory. May the King answer us when we call. And He will. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise one more time. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give Him praise. He's worthy to be good. Magnify You, Lord. You are so good. There's none beside You, God. And we give You praise. We honor You. And everybody said? Amen. Just everybody be seated for a moment. We'll turn Children's Church loose in just a moment. I want to show you a few things. Uh, as you all know, I toured the area of eastern Kentucky this week. Uh, if any of you were trying to get a hold of me, that's how it is in eastern Kentucky. So here's some pictures. Houses. Those houses are off their foundations. So... Uh, you have all kinds of people there. Some of them had insurance. Uh, they just displaced. Some of them were really uh, diligent. They took their drywall down immediately. There's insulation out so they wouldn't have mold. Some of them are lazy. <laughs> they got, you got every kind of person up there you do. Some can't help themselves. Some FEMA's helping. Some FEMA's not paying attention to. I mean, it's just, just all of that up there. And uh, so we went in several communities. I'm not going to name them all. But the last community we spent our time in is way up in a holler. And there's a lot of houses. It's old coal mining camps. So if you, coal mining camps, their houses were closer together than they are in town. I don't know if any of you have been in a camp before. But 
if you go to Cincinnati and you look off the interstate, those houses where they can hand sugar out the window to each other, that's the way coal mining houses. And most of them have just been redone over the years. And, of course, they didn't have insulation. So a lot of them have lost some stuff. Uh, but here's what's in my heart. They don't need food. They don't need water. They don't need cleaning supplies. I mean, every community I stopped in, they don't need any of that. Uh, and we went to several communities, many, I should say. Uh, what they need is they're going to need some help cleaning up, and some of that's happening already, uh, just manual labor. And then uh, they're going to need furniture in a couple of months. So what we're going to try to do is get one of those truck beds out here, like you see shipping on ships and things, and see if we can't start collecting furniture, mattresses, beds, Flood insurance is not very good. If any of you have had to use it, it just don't work very good. Just a few things it'll do. It's very expensive. A lot of them didn't have it. Even if they had regular insurance, they didn't have flood insurance. Some of them are getting turned away by their regular insurance because it was a flood, but then the ones that have flood insurance, it's not doing very much. Uh, so it's, just, it's a mess. So they're going to need furniture, uh, and we're going to start trying to collect furniture mattresses, beds, bedding. But the process between here and there is cleanup, manual labor. Uh, and some of them are going to be moving. They lost everything. They're going to have to find new places to live. Some of them are going to move out. The other thing they need is dehumidifiers. If, and we bought all we could while we were up there and dropped them off. Uh, actually, they had one more left. But we... We bought some and dropped them off uh, to a family that had been very diligent. As soon as the water subsided, they took their sheetrock down, took their insulation out, and they're trying. The mold's going to be the big thing. A lot of them were having mold issues, and they don't have dehumidifiers, and so that's the issue. So here's what's in my heart: We've got Fleming Neon is gone. We went through there. Uh, I mean, it it wiped out everything. Now, all the buildings, some of them are still there, but. Uh, the town, I mean, there's nothing really going on in there uh, as far as business-wise because it shut everything down. The community that we went into is up above Fleming Neon where a lot of the water that wiped out Neon came from. They were trapped for a few days because both bridges were wiped out in this community where the mining camp was at. They got a mudslide or two. They got some very poor widows up in there that need underpinning and stuff put back. Some of them told me they were out of money. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do. So what I, what I would, what's in my heart is for us to go in there and work a few weeks and then to go in there and set up a tent and have church service and try to win some of them to Christ. But we want to first go work. We want to, and once we set up in this community, there's enough communities close by, it's probably going to draw us into those as well. Uh, Fleming Neon probably got hit worse than anybody in the whole region. So there's a lot of attention on that town as far as cleanup because that's the town, but it's those people on the outskirts. So start praying. Start If you've got an old dehumidifier, if you've got mattresses, beds, furniture you need to give away, uh, these people are going to need those things. Because some of them are going to try to redo their homes, but they're gonna, they've lost all their furniture. Uh, they're sleeping on whatever they can find. Some of them's got blocks in a box spring trying to sleep on that. And some of them are going to be okay. So they live like we do. Some of them had good insurance and uh, some of them didn't have any insurance. So, 
And FEMA seems to be, it's not really doing a whole lot as far as helping them beyond this initial surge. So uh, this community was stuck, and so they had to make their, they had to, a fella fish, fished a big culvert out of the creek and <laughs> put it in so that they couldn't even get out to get food or anything. And so they, this community banded together, and he uh, accidentally borrowed a piece of equipment. And <laughs> you know, you go over in there, those guys that work in the mines, they can run anything. Uh, uh, and so they, uh, he borrowed a piece of equipment one evening, and uh, they fished this car. I'm talking about something big as a Volkswagen, that kind of car, because it was a bridge that was gone, and so that they could actually get in and out and get some supplies. So, so they're banding together over there, and they had to band together uh, when they threatened this guy. So the community came together and said, uh-uh. Said we were stuck, and you all wasn't doing nothing, so you're not taking this guy nowhere. So, you know, sometimes you have to do what you have to do, right? <laughs> so you saw those pictures, so we're getting teams. So what we'll try to do is we'll try to stage at Sister Mary's, which is 40 minutes or so from there. She's got bunk beds. There, she lost her walk bridge, but I was over there. Uh, they just finished a makeshift walk bridge. It is a large tree that fell. They put it across the creek, and they put some boards on it. So uh, you could fall in the creek if you're not a good walker. But, hey, what's that old song, Country Boy Will Survive? He... <laughs> so they survive. And so the bunkhouses are accessible now. The only problem with that is the guys that were working there that day said, there's a mother bear here with three little bitty cubs. They look soft and fluffy. <laughs> he said he had two guys that had never been in the mountains before. And he said they was getting ready to walk over toward the cubs. And he said, hey, boys, mama's here somewhere. <laughs> Don't be walking over there around those cubs. So, uh, yeah, so we've got a plan in place. We, we're going to need some equipment probably, different things going on. Uh, but this community is devastated. I think it will bleed us right on down into some other communities that were hit hard. But we got to set up somewhere and start working. So we want to get in there and gain their favor. I talked to families, lots of families, lots of families. And all of them, some of them cleaning up. Some of them, uh, some of these older ladies that didn't have any means to clean up. You know, so there's just a lot of, lot of work that can be done. But the supplies are, they're covered up in supplies, they told me, with water, everything. And those things just keep coming in and coming in. But it's the manual labor. Has anybody ever used a Japanese backhoe? <laughs> Colin has. It's a number four shovel. It's about this wide. That's what we called those in the mind, the Japanese backhoe. So uh, they hold a lot of weight. You, if, you, if you're ready to work out and start getting stronger, that'll be a good place to go. So we'll, we'll be attentive to their needs. Sister Mary just had three tractor and trailer loads of food come in as well. Furniture bedding and work tools is what they need now and then labor so probably there's two teams going in next week I'm going to be going back in and start designating actually projects uh, probably first of next week and uh, then maybe next Friday Saturday or at the latest the following week we'll start launching teams in and out of there I'm trying to get everything set up with Sister Mary so that's what's going on over there uh, and God's, you can tell the ones that have favor with God, it shows. 
It does. And you can tell the ones that trust the Lord. I mean, they've lost, they talk different. We went in one house and they're like, we lost it all, but we're going to be fine. The Lord's always took care of us. So you can tell all that. But what, what I see is a great opportunity to win the lost. Mission work is futile if the objective is not to win the lost. It's good to do projects and all that, but those are only ways to get the door open so they start trusting you a little bit so you can share the gospel with them, all right? So be praying about all that. We'll try to get some stuff worked out if you got furniture. Dehumidifiers, they need to go as soon as... If you got any of those laying around, they need to go as soon as they can. They're not cheap. We bought some while we were up there, uh, but, you know, those things are getting scarce in that region as well because a lot of people are needing them, so... Uh, just be praying about that. Children's church is dismissed. Where's Brother Micah? Okay. You can go on over. Children's church. So I'm going to speak to you again about... Uh, about addiction. And I, I wrote some more things down before we get in the Scripture. Last week... Um, we introduced this and then we shared some scripture and we challenged ourselves to believe what God teaches. So, let me read a few things to you, some things I've jotted down as we get ready to look at this uh, overwhelming situation in our world. This I said last week, if sin is not our primary problem, then the gospel of Jesus is no longer the most important event in all of human history. But sin is our number one problem. Sin will kill us physically. That's what he told Adam and Eve. And that's the first thing he said, you know, you're dead. <laughs> it will also cost us from our eternal destiny, keep us from going to heaven if we live sin and don't turn to Christ. So our biggest problem, even though you may be facing something really horrendous right now, those people in eastern Kentucky are, they're facing some stuff really horrendous. But they, if they're not... Christians, if they don't follow Jesus, they had a bigger problem than that flood. And it's, uh, so if that's not the biggest problem we have, then the cross is not the biggest event in human history. But we know that it is. That's, that's our problem. We're born into sin. Now listen to this next statement. There are lots of people who believe that Scripture is true as a rule, but they are unwilling to allow it to shape their views on a particular subject and to be the rule of their lives. How many people do you know like that? They'd say, yeah, the Bible's God's Word. I believe that. But then when it comes to a specific situation, and we talked about some of that last week, you know, when we stand with God's Word and then somebody close to us starts violating it and we feel sorry for them and we don't want them to feel bad, so we drop our standard. It happens a lot. Got one amen. That happens to people. I'm not saying you do that. But a lot of people change their view on something that they know God is against because somebody they love is now involved in practicing it. That don't help them at all. And I'll share something with you in a minute. You'll see what I'm talking about. There are lots of people who believe that Scripture is, the, is true as a rule, but they are unwilling to allow it to shape their views on a particular subject and to be the rule of their lives. And we all have to guard against that. Because we're all walking in the flesh, and we like, may like to make allowances for ourselves, right? 
to not obey God in a certain moment or a certain situation. We all wrestle with that. You know, maybe uh, whether it's giving tithes or whatever. I mean, everybody wrestles with whether they're going to obey God at times. Some people have given over to it as a lifestyle. There's a difference between a sinning and repenting and moving on and practicing sin. The Bible's clear about that. John talks about that. And that's what addiction leads into, the practicing of it. So here's your definition. It's probably the best definition I ever found about on addiction as the world. Now, I hesitated a little bit to use the word addiction. I don't like that. It's not in the Bible. It's not really, and I think it kind of blurs what we're trying to really get it done, especially if you're a believer. But here's the definition. It's, it's, a, it's a bondage to the rule of substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from truth, so that even bad consequences don't bring changes most, in most cases. Now think about that for a minute. Addiction is a bondage to the rule of a, to the rule of a substance or an activity or a state of mind, which then becomes the center of that person's life, and then it defends itself from truth. You hear things like, well, I can quit, or I'll change tomorrow, or this is not so bad because somebody else... That's Phariseeism, right? So that even bad consequences don't bring change in most cases. And we all know situations like that. So Jesus is still the answer to all our problems. Can you say amen? Do our wrongs offend our sense of self-worth? The answer to that is yes, they do. And so that causes us sometimes to tippy-toe around real issues. But if we coddle, and I read this last week, if we coddle an unrealistic view, the price we pay is self-deception and destructive consequences. And that's what happens to people. When we don't see reality of what's destroying us, we coddle a view of ourselves that's different than the Bible would teach, and it causes us to go into deception, and great consequences come. We train our bodies with addictions. We make new grooves. Now this is my Red Elvis album (laughs) that I have never played. I bought it because I thought it would be worth a couple of million dollars someday in an old junk store. But it's only worth a million right now. (laughs) But I would let it go for a half a million. (laughs) If anybody's interested, see me after church. If you were around a couple years ago, I preached a message on, I'm going to use this album again here in just a minute. But if you were around, I preached a whole two or three months on the body, the soul, and the spirit, right? And this is how we're all made up, right? We have a body, flesh, and we have a soul, which is where our mind and our will and our emotions are seated, and that's where our decisions are made, right there. We make them, and we make them... With a dormant spirit, if we're, if we're not born again, this spirit is dormant. If we're a Christian, if we've been born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in there until He starts influencing the decision process. Before we primarily make all our decisions 
with these two rams, right? If the body wants to do something, we'll give in. Or not. If the soul man has come up with, conjured up a good idea, we may f- follow through with our body. But you get all these uh, impulses and, and requests by the body, and, they're, and it's sending it to the soul, right? I need some sleep. I need some food. I need a job. Whatever, right? You, you get all these things going on. So this is how we live before we're born again. Now, I, I said this during that teaching, that some people are better with their soul than others because they've maybe had better training, they grew up in a family, or maybe they got to learn more educationally or get trained better with jobs, or maybe somebody took... You know, if you were grew up in my family, as soon as you got old enough to really pick up a hole, you got trained. You got trained how to, how to plant corn. You got trained how to pluck the corn once it comes up and leave so many, right? You get trained how to sow that. You get trained all of that. Everybody don't get those same kind of training. So some people are better with their soulish man than they are, than other people are. Because they, maybe they've had a more opportunity to be trained more, whatever. But here's what makes the difference is the Holy Spirit taking up residence in our lives. Now his job, now the Holy Spirit gets talked around a a lot about what he can do and what he does and he can do everything and only good and and he's powerful and all that. We understand all that. But as I was telling the church uh, not too long ago, the Holy Spirit didn't show up so we could have better church services. That's the runoff. But the Holy Spirit, now hear me well, the Holy Spirit came to conquer us. Because after you live in these two realms so long, you need to be conquered. Because it's that old man that likes to do his thing, right? So the Holy Spirit, take, when we are born again, when we become Christians, saved, redeemed, whatever you want to call it, the Holy Spirit starts using His influence to take over this person, being you, me, or whoever, right? So our mind, will, and emotions are seated in this soulish realm, and they're, primarily, they're influenced by external factors, things we've been trained and taught. Well, when the Holy Spirit shows up, new sheriffs in town, the war begins, right? Jesus talks about this, the battle between the flesh and the spirit, right? And so the flesh representing both these realms, when He's talking there, there's a battle going on. Now this, this spirit that's come to life inside of you by far, by far, has more power than either one of these realms available to him. But here's what happens. We have Christians who fast their spirit and feed their flesh. How does that happen, preacher? If you don't read God's Word and take it in, your spirit's starving. He's got to have that Word. Everything else will pass away when the Word of God will stand forever. So everything in our lives needs to be built on God's Word. So the Holy Spirit needs fed by... or Your spirit needs fed by the Holy Spirit and God's Word. And the Bible says the Spirit and the Word agree. Now the more Word your spirit man gets in him, the more influence and power he's going to have to subdue these other two realms. And they need to be subdued. Paul said, I travail in birth again till Christ is formed in you. He's praying for Christians there that they be fully formed in Christ. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the tragedy. The tragedy is 
that too many Christians live in that realm still. They watch God come through before, and then the next storm that comes, they're biting their fingernails off again. Scared to death. Every time God keeps coming through every time, and every time they don't learn. They, they, they try to look in the natural and govern their lives because they're clever. They're smart by the world's standards. And we all battle this. We're clever. We get trained. We get smart. And so the Holy Spirit says something totally different outside of our cleverness, and we can't receive it because we think the smartest one wins. And that's not always true. Let, the smart, let the, all the food supply go away and see if a lot of these professors and stuff aren't coming to our area finding these 90-year-old grandmas saying, teach us how to can beans. Intelligence is relative, right? To whatever the situation is. You take somebody in somebody else's territory, and they may not have went to school past the sixth grade, but they may know how to skin a buck and run a trot line. And if the food supply is gone, somebody's going to have to know how to skin a buck and run a trot line, right? So intelligence is relative. In other words, you may be smart in your field, but there may be somebody in another field that's way smarter than you and didn't even go past the sixth grade. So cheer up, saints. So we, we can govern ourselves. And how many Christians live by their emotions? Sad to say. They get up, they don't feel good, or something don't go their way, they fall all to pieces. They forget about Jesus being sitting on His throne. Did Jesus follow? I love to tell people who get in their retirement years who worry about uh, whether they're going to make it or not. I said, it sounds like God to me Let you get 75 and then say, kick you out and say, you're on your own. And when they hear that, they think, that's ridiculous, isn't it? I said, that's right. God ain't going to leave you. He's not, he said He'd never leave you nor forsake you. Fear, have you noticed this? Fear will try to grip with you at every stage of life. It will. It'll try to own you because fear moves us. It moves us easily or more easy, I should say, than any other thing. I remember when I was like 11 years old, the devil started, and I've heard other people testify this when they were like the middle school age, the devil come by and, talk, and just put this fear of death on them. Just swinging every stage. And he'll try to put fear. Well, I'm not going to get a good job. Or I won't get to go to school. Or I won't do that. Just all the time fear. So our emotions, we need to put them in check. Let the Spirit have governance over them. Now let me tell you what happens with addiction. People groove out an album. Now this album is grooved out to play Elvis. I assume. I've never played it, like I said. But I, this album is grooved out to play his music. We all know that. If you tr put it on here and expect to hear Third Day or uh, Hillsong, you're not going to hear it. Because it's grooved out to play Elvis. That's what happens to somebody. They, get, they put these grooves and they keep playing the same old song. That's how addiction gets it. And we might want to go back and, and listen to some of that on our YouTube channel or our podcast. That this, that's what happens to people. They just keep playing the same old song because it's grooved out. And their record can't... And, and remember I said this, we need to get a new groove on. And Jesus is the way to get a new groove on. Right? So this is what happens in addiction. So you got to regroup. We, there is a uh, path that led to my grandmother's house uh, where the big bad wolf was at. And 
I, I went over there so much, I wore the grass off of that path. You could see it. You could look from out in the field and you could see a little dirt path because I went so much to my grandmother's house. The grass wouldn't grow. Once you, and there were other ways to get there. I could have went around. I wanted to go through the pine thicket because the pine thicket was the least, uh, least amount of time, right? There were other ways. I could have went around the pine thicket, but it would have cost me time. Right? So I used my soulish man. Are you following me? And I decided that going through that pine thicket was the easy, quickest way to get there. So I made a path. I could have went other ways, but I decided not to. So every time I kept going, then pretty soon it became the easiest path because I knew it. I had grooved it out. And I just, and if anybody would offer me another option, I don't know that I would have took it. Until I see a bear in that pine thicket. Now, I want you to follow me here. That's what's wrong. The reason addiction is so prevailing in our country is because, or our whole world, I should say, and it's just as bad in the mountains as it is here. The reason it's so bad is because we don't see the immediate cost. But that's true of anything, right? I, I hate to pick on just addiction. That's true in general. The reason people are short-sighted is they don't see the cost. So an, an addiction gets traction because there seems to be no immediate cost involved with it. And that's important because we're going to come back to that in just a minute. I'm going to show you what the Bible says. Do our wrongs offend our sense of worth? The answer is yes. They do. But we have grooved out certain things, and that's why the spirit man needs to get stronger and stronger and stronger. My cousin, who uh, I, I've seen people, Dwayne's testimonies that way. The Lord delivered him instantly. That happens. And there are other people in this church God just delivered instantly. There are other people in this church that went out back one night in the middle of the desert, had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it... Set them free. There are other people that go on a journey with that. My cousin went on a journey. And you know how he got out of it? He went to a place where they made you get in the Word 13 times a week. They just saturated these men with the Word of God. They renewed their mind. What they do? They got a new groove on. I don't know if they explain it the way I do. But that's what they're doing. They're, they're regrooving these guys' minds with the Word of God so that that old path gets less and less attractive and the new one gets the groove and the attention. So everybody needs a new groove on. Once our heart, and this is how the Bible tells it, once our heart has become infected, our will is coerced and bent. That's what happens. we got a heart problem. We have a heart issue. Most people's concern is if that we talk about sin to the person who's battling what the world calls addiction, we'll get, they'll, uh, they'll get stuck in guilt. But here's the thing. The addict's already stuck in guilt and shame. That's part of the whole process. And this is what we got to be careful about. Backing away from truth to help people. When, once, when we separated addiction from sin, that's what the world does. When, once they've done that, then we took away the people's means of redemption. 
When we separate, and notice how the world does, they separate. This, this sexual immorality, they separate it from the Bible so they can continue on. They forget the cost. It doesn't matter what the issue is. But once we separate addiction from what God's Word says about it, we take away people's means of redemption. They quit looking to God for help and they run everywhere else. And we, yet we'll get up and preach and say, Jesus answered every one of your problems. Every one of us needs heart surgery. Again, how can we tell an addict you're not responsible and then turn around and say, but you are responsible to get out of it? That's a, such a dichotomy. The world ain't even thought about that yet because they don't want to think about it. Everyone needs heart surgery. Our hearts are infected, which causes us to have lordship problems, right? What happened with Eve? She refused to let God govern her for a moment. She decided to do her own thing. That's a lordship problem. What did God tell Cain after Cain? Eve let the cat in the, in the house, and then uh, Adam said, it's okay, we'll leave him in the house. And then the next thing you know, Cain says, oh, we got a cat in the house. And Cain kills his brother because sin entered into the race, right? Cain, Cain had an infected heart. His heart had been infected. And when his anger rose up and his disappointment, he took it out on his brother. And so what happens is God speaks to Cain and says, if you do good, you'll be fine. But if you don't, sin lies at the door to dominate you. That's what's happening in our world. It doesn't matter what people are getting dominated in. They're just getting dominated by Satan. And if you don't think there are evil spirits hanging around promoting this stuff, you are blind. These things come along with spirits. There are evil spirits. A lot of them left heaven. There are evil spirits behind idolatry. There's evil spirits behind sexual immorality. There's evil spirits behind all of that. In fact, I, I preached to you just a few weeks ago when Jesus called an, an evil spirit that had had that woman's crooked back. Jesus blamed that on Satan. Why? Because he got his foot in the garden and then he started corrupting man. And next thing you know, our hearts are evil. And we make decisions based on what we like and not what God asks. Now think about this. Think about somebody who's struggling and they do their own thing and then they go to work and do what they're told to do. So it ain't a matter of whether they can follow directions or not. It's a matter of lordship. Who are you going to let talk to you? Who you, and, and so we get short-sighted. That's the work of the flesh. We get short-sighted. We don't see the costs, right? This, it, it happens in the natural too, but we're talking about their spiritual journey right now. A lot of people don't do things in the natural to take care of themselves as they get older, whatever, in every realm of that, right? We, they're short-sighted. They live for the moment. Same thing spiritual. We get so short-sighted, we just live for the day, and we don't realize the cost that's coming. And Jesus told us that, right? He said, sit down and count the costs. Addiction is rooted in self-seeking. We call that eros. Love, it's hook. Love that's about you. You're in love with yourself. Which leads to the greatest form of idolatry, which is when we put ourselves in front of everything else. That's the tragedy. The devil don't care what he gets us hooked on. There, we, there are all kinds of things he can get us hooked on. The tragedy is when he gets and we put ourselves in front of everything and everybody else. The more purpose... And importance attached to addiction and addictive behavior. I get, what do you get? What you're after? The more addiction will become synonymous with our lives. 
and a way of living. Then we, and here's what happens, you know this, we know this, this happens to people, we get our identity from it. There goes that, right? When you get consumed with a sin or an addiction, when you get consumed with that, that becomes your identity. Because people will say that. They'll say, well, that guy's an old, or that woman's old. You're not supposed to use old with women, I understand that. <laughs> then we find our identity in it, and that's what's happened. And notice how shallow we are in America today. We now identi- we, our identities are now based on our skin color or our sexual preference. That's how shallow we've become in this country. We have developed identities based on a skin color or somebody's sexual preference. You know that's about as shallow as I can find. How horrendous, how shallow have we become in this country. Addictions get traction because they seem to be no immediate cost. There seems to be no immediate cost. Our addictions will deceive us, bury us in guilt and shame, and take away our physical lives and lead us to the pit. That's what happens. Now, I want you to turn with me to Genesis 6, or let's show Genesis 6, 5 up here. You can just read it off the screen. Look what the Lord said. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Let's go to the next one, Jeremiah 7, 24. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their own evil of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. So we got a heart problem. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. It's like uh, if God tells all of us to never uh, wear socks again, if that's what He asks us to do, if we start wearing socks, we're disobeying. You understand what I'm trying to get across there? Let's don't make this about the big sin and the little sin. Let's make this about what God is asking of us, what He wants us to do, how He wants us to live. They did not obey or climb their ear, but followed the counsels of the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward, not forward. Now let's go to Jeremiah 17. In Jeremiah 17, let's pick up with verse 9. I'm going to get you out of the valley in a minute. Okay? Let me take you down the valley and we'll get you out. The heart is deceitful above all things in Jeremiah 17 and 9. And desperately wicked. You know what he's talking about? You and me. We're born that way. Now we need to be saved. If sin's not our biggest problem, then the cross is not our greatest answer. But if sin is our biggest problem, then the cross is our answer. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Have you ever done something you thought, Where did that come from? I've done that before. I thought, Where did that come from? And the Holy Spirit's saying, Get that out. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings, as a partridge that broods but does not hatch. So is he who gets riches but not by right. I will leave him in the midst of his days, and in the end he will be a fool. Now, there are people who are addicted to money. Money's just a tool. It ain't nothing to put your trust in. It's just a tool. That's all it is. And he says, 
I will leave him in the midst of his days, and he will end up as a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning in the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, of the hope of Israel, who will forsake you, who, who, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. So it doesn't matter what we turn to. Once we turn from God to whatever it is, a situation, a pleasure, a, what, a high, it doesn't matter. As soon as we turn from God to whatever, you fill in the blank, as soon as we turn from Him, we're in trouble. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Indeed, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. Let it come now. That's what we need. The Bible said He sent His word and healed them. The Bible said he parted the Red Sea. His word has, is the height of life. In fact, Psalm 138 says he's magnified his word above his name. And we know how powerful his name is. Let's go to Matthew 7. Let's look at this from the New Testament concept. I'm going to get you out of the valley. Just give me about five more minutes. We need to walk through the bottom of the valley here for a minute. Seven verse, look at verse 19. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, you, you got, we got to do something with that. That's what Jesus said. When I first went to work in the mines, I, I ran into a guy who's a believer. Can you believe it? <laughs> There's a few of them in the mines that love the Lord. And I run into a guy who's a believer, and he said, there was a guy over there who was horrendous. He said, that's my brother. He, introduced, he didn't introduce, he just tell me as his brother. And I was encouraged to find another guy who was a Christian under there, and I was, I was like, well, that's awesome. He said, and I knew how the other guy was. And he said, well, my brother's a Christian. He just don't act like it. That don't work. That just don't work. He was not a good guy. He was bad. And he says, every good tree will bear good fruit, and the bad trees won't, uh, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will be known. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, now listen, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I said we got a lordship problem because these same people who refuse to obey, God will go to work and obey everything they're told to do. Within reason, I understand you can buck up sometimes, but I'm just saying they'll do what they're told to do. You got somebody who's uh, refused to... Uh, that's really where I want to bring this conversation to. I want to bring it to this. Either you obey God or you don't. Forget the, the labels we wear. Forget the issues that we talk about. Really, it boils down to this. Will you obey God or not? And will you get in here and find out what He approves and disapproves of? And will you live your life according to that? And if you find yourself falling to that, will you repent and get up and keep moving? Will you not stay there? Because there's none of us that are perfect. And then he says, he says, everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall, uh, 
who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who does that. But he who does the will of the Father. Now, metanoia is the Greek word for repent. And I've danced around that and used it a lot and kind of illustrated it. But metanoia, that's the Greek word that we translate repent or repentance. And metanoia, here's the, here's the deep definition. I, said, I usually say it's a change of mind that causes you to turn and go the other direction, right? That's true repentance. Repentance ain't just saying, I'm sorry I did it. Repentance says, I'm going this way and I'm going to turn and go that way. That's what repentance says because your mind's been affected. You come into agreement. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? If you can't be walking with God if you disagree with what He teaches. How is this part of the church now says, I, I, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe what the Bible says? Well, the Bible says the Word and Jesus are one and the same. You can't have one without the other. And if you're disregarding the Word, you're disregarding Jesus. And so he said, the word metanoia means the change of mind, a change of direction, like I've said. But here's how, the, how it would say it in the deepest form, to make a change of principle and practice. Which is what I, I, I deduce it down to this. You're going this way, your mind's changed. You see something, you turn, you go the other direction. So you make a change of principle. Your mind has been co- captured by the Spirit, right? And said, hey, this is wrong. Then you turn and go a different direction. That was the beauty of David. David fell many times in the Scripture. And we should all take encouragement from this. He, he was a man. Elijah, the Bible says, was a man of like passion. Moses blew it. Abraham blew it. Only two guys that didn't blow it were Daniel and uh, uh, Joseph. But we know they blew it. They were human. But if those are only two guys in the Bible, we'd all be miserable. Because those guys, they really stayed the, stayed the line most of the, uh, what we can see. But most people, and David blew it, but David wasn't one of those guys who stayed there. Once he, he really repented, he turned from that thing. He wouldn't just keep living with it. And that, if you remember last week, two words, one was forsake. It means to rearrange, to arrange, or to take leave. In other words, when you read that passage in, in Luke where he's talking about you can't love anybody more than him and be his disciple. Another passage that says you've got to hate your father and mother. The word hate's a poor choice of words in English. It means to love less but to rearrange, to arrange these so that everything's in its right order. God is first. And then you go from there. And then the other one was beset. Remember that out of Hebrews 12 and 1 where, these, where, people, where we let things in our environment. He says Don't get away, lay aside every sin and way that so easily besets. The word beset is one that says we just keep it in our environment, and because we keep it in our environment, we keep leaning on it or going to it. So one of the best ways to start dealing with addiction is to get things out of your environment. That's one of the best ways to do that. And then he goes on to say, he says, not everybody says, Lord, Lord, will go in the kingdom, but he that does the will of the Father in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, not, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice laws. And that's a pretty big statement there. Because the Pharisees, man, they had church down. They did church right. They showed up all the right places. They dressed all the right times. They had all the right things to say. But Jesus said, you guys, many of them were full of dead men's bones. So there's a word. There, there are... Ten virgins in Matthew 25. They're waiting for the bridegroom. Let me tell you some things about those virgins. Number one, they all looked the same. They all had the same equipment. 
And they're all in the same place. But five of them were ready, and five of them weren't. Now, that's the word to the church. They all looked the same. They all had the same location. They all had the same equipment. And when they all stood up and sang, they looked like they were ready to go to heaven. But five of them weren't ready. They hadn't counted the cost. Now, I'm going to say something to you. I had a conversation recently about this. Being a Christian now is becoming costly. It may cause you to have to change jobs now. I mean, that's where we're at. It may cause you to have to change schools. I don't know. We're in a situation now. Now, we've got to be witnesses, but it's going to cost us something. Because Christianity is something people don't want involved in the circles of our culture anymore. We've taken God out of everything. The classroom, the, 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 the courtroom, the public squares. We can have a statue of the devil out in Oklahoma and a statue to Baal in New York City, but we can't have the Ten Commandments out in the middle of a throughway. We are, we are the antis. We're viewed as the antis because we're believers. And then he says, he says, I never knew you. So these are people who actually were involved in religious activities, but he said, I don't know you. Now let me close with this. Addiction, I said this twice already, addiction gets traction because there seems to be no immediate cost. One of the things my wife and I did with our children, the whole time they were under us, we stressed to them that they had to answer to somebody beyond us. We stressed that. As soon as they could understand it, we stressed to them, there's somebody beyond your parents that you have to answer to someday. We stressed that to them. The buck don't stop with us. You belong to God. God gave us to you. Or, or vice versa, gave you to us. And I guess gave us to you. <laughs> to be stewards over. I, am, I was a steward over my children. I didn't own them. See, when you own something, you only own it horizontally. You don't own anything vertically. That property you own, that's God's. Now, with me and you, you've got your deed and I've got my deed, so horizontally we own things this way, but vertically, we don't own nothing. It's all God's. And that means our children. Our children were created by God. He gave them life. They were given to us as stewards. We are our stewards. And so we should, every moment, we, can, we should point them back to them because, let me tell you, in the darkest moments of their lives, whether it's temptation or, or maybe in the middle of a war or something where, where the parents can't be found, guess who will be there? The Holy Spirit will be there. Amen. He'll be there at that party saying, don't do that. He'll be there in that car ride saying, don't go there, right? The Holy, you won't be there, but the Holy Spirit will be there. That's why we need to teach our spirit, children to have a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, and the Father. Because there's going to be times we can't fix, we can't do, we can't be there. So teach your children and your grandchildren that there's somebody bigger in this world that they need to know than you. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and then I'm going to quit. I promise I'm going to quit. Did I just promise? Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I uh, shouldn't have done that. Now, brethren, concerning chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled by either by spirit or by word or by letter as if it came uh, as, if it, as if from us. So the Thessalonians were kind of on their heels because 
they'd been talked to by Paul about, you know, the first time he'd come, the letter and everything, that the Lord had come, they missed it. How they got that, we don't know, but Paul's clearing that up. The Lord's, you didn't miss the Lord. But you can imagine how that would be, right? Thinking you'd miss the Lord. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, as though it was the day of Christ had come, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and his worship. So he sits to God in the temple, showing himself to be his God. So we got the Antichrist showing. I, I, everybody says what the preacher thinks. I think he's probably born. I think the Antichrist is probably alive. And he's going to have his day soon. Because, why do you say that, preacher? You ate too much pizza last night, didn't you? I say that because of 1967. Because in Luke 21, Jesus said, When you see Jerusalem no longer controlled by the Gentiles, know that all these things, uh, that, how does it say, this generation will not pass till all these things come about. So we're looking at a generation starting in 1967, which is my generation. And I've always known I'm an end-time preacher, and you're going to find it out real clear here this fall. Because the Lord's leading me to get into some of that this fall. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now that you know that He's restraining, that He may be revealed in His own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So we know lawlessness was at work in, in Genesis. That's why I gave you that verse. God brought the flood. He said, men's hearts are crazy, and they're wicked, right? So lawlessness has been around since, since the garden. Who restrains to do what He will until He's taken out of the way. So there's a force working against We'll get into all that this fall. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So the Antichrist is going to be destroyed, and Satan's going to eventually be bound forever. But there's a day when Jesus is going to confront all that. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Now remember, he just said the lawlessness is already here. Also remember what John said. The spirit of Antichrist was already here. The actual Antichrist hadn't showed up, but the spirit of that was here. And he said, so that's what I'm saying to you. Whatever the devil winds you up in, there's spirits behind it. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish. So he said, the Antichrist and Satan's going to have pull with people who are perishing. And here's why. Look at this. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Now, the word receive is an interesting word. It means to receive and retain. Has any, have any of you all got a gift before and you gave it away? Tell the truth. You tell the truth. I hear some of you say, not another one of those. And it wound up at the Salvation Army or somebody that didn't have another one of those. Right? We've all given. And so we've received something, but we didn't retain it. That's the key, Right? That's what he's saying here. He said, these people are not retaining the truth. This is where this kind of talk comes from. Well, that's for people who need a crutch, Christianity. People need a crutch. Uh, That's for weak people. Uh, You don't believe all that stuff, do you? You don't believe God created the heavens and the earth. You don't believe Jesus is coming back. You don't believe... We just go back into nothingness. We came from... a. Amoeba that crawled out of the, the, the water and developed two warts that turned into eyes. And I tell you, it takes more faith to believe some of that stuff than it does believe the Lord. That's where that attitude comes from. You know why? Because they didn't retain the truth. What did Peter say? 
where it talked about the people in the flood, they didn't love it, right? They chose not to retain the truth, he said. Same thing he said in Romans chapter 1 when Paul's talking. They chose not to retain. They knew God, but the Bible said they chose not to retain Him. Right? That's a bad move. Especially when He's the final judge of everything. That's a bad move. So they didn't receive it. They didn't receive retain. They didn't acquire. They didn't grant, they didn't grant the truth access to them. They just blew it off. They didn't approve or assert to... In other words, this, this is something that you need to think, learn because when uh, John the Baptist says, make his path straight when he's talking about Jesus coming, he's, he's not saying get everything out of his way so he can get through. You know what he's saying there? He's saying get everything out of his way so he can get to you. What's in his way in conquering your life? What's in his way that will keep him from conquering those regions in our lives that need to be conquered so that we can glorify him and he can have his way in our life? Get everything out of his way so he can get to you. That's what he's talking about. Let him in. So this word receive means to receive and retain, to acquire, to grant access. Let the truth have access in your life. Listen, we're all on a track. I love to learn. I love it. I just love it. It's like going to a candy store for me. We all got certain fields we want to learn in. But you have to keep the other track going alongside of it, truth. Because if you start learning in this field and walk away from truth, you'll get deceived in this. If I didn't stay in the Word, I could be deceived with religion. That's what happened to the Pharisees. That's happened to half the church in America. You may have a track and you may be getting smart in it. Praise God. He's designed you a certain way. If you're going to be a mathematician, be one. But don't forget this other track. If I'm going to learn Greek and Hebrew, so be it. But don't forget the Word of God that keeps everything in balance. You see what I'm saying? That's what's happened to us. We get deceived because we're good at something. Well, you didn't get good at something on your own. God made you that way. Paul said, which one of us have anything we didn't receive? None of us. We all receive whatever God's given. However He designed us, however He made us up. Some of my best friends are lawyers, so don't take offense at this. But let the lawyers and the garbage men leave town, see which ones they want back first. Right? Everybody's important. Everybody has a way, Right? Everybody's called to do something. We, we got to make sure that we don't get caught up and think we're getting all gifted and smart in this and forget that other track that's the eternal one. And it happens, to, I'm not preaching down at you, it happens to preachers. There's more preachers deceived, I believe, than there are lay people now. And you know what they're doing? They're deceiving the lay people because they don't stick with the Word of God. I told you I was going to quit, didn't I? And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Now, they, they didn't receive the love. They didn't retain it. So now they're in a spot where God, the Bible says, God's going to send them a delusion. Who is the love? And who is the truth? Jesus. When, they, when we reject God's truth and His love, we're rejecting His Son. Then he says, and for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that, that they were all condemned who did not believe. And you know that word, I use it all the time. It's the Greek word pisteo. It's the verb form of faith, right? 
So these people say, I believe in God, but they don't have any activity toward Him because that's verb, right? Pisteo undergirds all believing in, and faith in the New Testament. That's the verb form, pisteo. And that's the form that's being used here. He said, because they did not act upon the truth, right? So it's not good enough to say, I believe in God. We must act upon His Word. We must give ourselves to what He teaches in there. That's faith action. So verbs have action. Now I'm going to get you out of the valley. You ready to come out of the valley? Turn me to Romans chapter 7. And then we're quitting. <laughs> I started a new sermon in case you wonder. So <laughs> I had this intent. Look at verse uh, 21 of chapter 7. We're going to just read that and then read a few verses because the chapter breaks it up here and it shouldn't have been broken up. Uh, you see, but these boys, they put all these breaks here, but this thought should continue. I find then a law that evil is present with me, and one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. All right, see this? Back to this, right? There's the battle. These two guys against this. <laughs> Teaming up, right? And then he says, he says, uh, I see this law working in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body? I've seen a lot of people use these texts and forget to read the end of it. There is deliverance. Can you say amen? amen. Is there freedom, Dwayne? Is there freedom, Brian? Where you at back there, Brian? I see you back there. Is there freedom, Joe? Where's Joe at? Amen. There is freedom. And there's many more people that God's delivered in this building, right? All of us. He's had to deliver. Don't be ashamed. He's had to deliver. You had sin. We've all had sin. And God has had to set us free and give us His Son and give us new life. God's on our side. Look what He says. He says, Oh, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how I get set free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Old things are passed away and all things are becoming new. Look what else he says. So then with my mind I serve the law of God, the flesh, the law of the sin. We're getting out of that. Thanks to Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit and life, and life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Somebody give the Lord praise. But look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if it is Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You, 
What a good word. Amen. Let me say this before we go out there. If you're out there bound in something, come to this church. We're not going to water it down for you. We're not going to pacify you. But we're going to help you see the love and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is your answer to all your problems. Don't run to the world, but run to God. He is the shelter that we run into. The righteous run into the high tower of God and they are safe. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Are you out of the valley? Now, we're going to get our groove on. I want you all to know that I know everybody in here is not bound in something. That's how the Bible talks about it. We change the words. But it's really when people get bound. That's what the Bible talks about. They get bound in iniquity. Bound in those tendencies. You know where the word iniquity means that tendency towards something. The word sin, they're different. Iniquity is that bending, that coercing. The Bible says that we get bound in iniquity and God delivers us. That's the difference. Deliverance. The church speaks of deliverance because we get bound. We get, and that, the devil don't care what he gets, gets us bound in. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Everybody that the Lord has set free, give him a shout. Amen. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord. Father, we come before you right now. There may be people in this building, people that are watching or listening to this podcast, they feel bound. Maybe they're bound by something. Maybe they're bound by something that's keeping them from you or keeping them from experiencing what, they, what you have for them. Something that's trying to destroy their lives. Anybody listening to me, Lord, across these airwaves or somebody in this building, let them know, Lord, that just like Paul said, they may be battling, but there's victory for them. There's victory in the name of Jesus. There's victory in the Word of God. There's victory in surrendering to Him and opening your life up and letting truth come in. I don't monopolize truth. What I preach to you is not my Word. It's God's Word. I don't apologize for it. I don't back away from it. But this is God's Word. His Word will set men free and women. His Word is the only thing that will be left standing, He said, when He destroys this earth. And He's going to come back and destroy the earth. That's the only thing that will be left standing is His Word. So Father, I just pray that as we open this altar up, anybody here that's disheartened, anybody here that is away from you, or somebody that's lost has never walked with you, or maybe the prodigals here today or listening today, Maybe it's your day to get up from the swine pit and go back home where you belong. Go back to where the Father's at. He's waiting on you. He'll be standing on the porch waiting on you. And when He sees you, when you take that one step today, you'll watch Him leap off the porch and head your way. And you need to come in humble, just like the prodigal. I'm not worthy, He said. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just let me be a servant. But the father said, I ain't have none of that. He said, my son was alive and dead and is alive again. Brought you back in. That's what he's after. This altar's open as we worship. Will you come?